In this week's news, Huawei launches the Mate 10 in Standard and Pro editions, Samsung's Galaxy A-Series leaks in a slew of new renders, and Apple may be forced to delay its premium iPhone 10. All this and more on this week's episode of Bandwidth Blog On Air. Welcome to episode 94. Welcome to Bandwidth Blog On Air, the weekly podcast of BandwidthBlog.com. Tennis, my expectation of Huawei's latest product event was that we'd get the Huawei Mate 10 Porsche Edition Pro Plus Lite Mini. All of those names. We didn't get that. We got two different Mate 10s, the Standard and the Pro Edition, discounting, of course, the Porsche Design Edition, the Ultra Premium version that usually seems to come out alongside new Mate devices each year. I think this speaks to a really interesting uh, product from Huawei. It's perhaps a break in continuity from Mate devices we've seen previously for better and worse and I'll have to be honest with you my thoughts are quite divided uh, on both the nature of these two devices but as I've said to uh, some of our readers and peers on Twitter I do like the split and having a Mate 10 in standard and pro rather than just small and large or standard and plus what are your thoughts? Well, I agree with you in principle that there should uh, should or could be that split between the Mate 10 and the Mate 10 Pro. But what I don't like is the way that they've actually positioned those two devices. Uh, the Mate 10 Pro, in my mind, I, I mean, it's kind of a slap in the face for a Pro moniker if you... Uh, you, you know, if you really look at what that device is actually bringing. I mean, it's... Um, they're calling it the Pro because it's kind of more in line with the type of devices we've seen in 2017. So so the Mate 10 Pro is more in line with what we've seen in 2017 in terms of the flagships where it's a 18 by 9 screen or a 2 by 1 screen, whatever you want to call it. Um, and the problem is the Pro that has this new modern screen is not that modern. So you've got... Uh, a 1080p screen in essence um, it's got the same dimensions as all these other flagships but the screen isn't as good uh, it's not the edge-to-edge display you've seen uh, on other devices all in all uh, to me the the Mate 10 Pro isn't really a Pro if you know what I mean I, I think you've hit the nail on the head and to perhaps distance ourselves from some of the more technical talk about specifications, I feel Huawei have done something really, well, you know, it's quite odd, in, specifically in regards to the fingerprint scanner, because I felt that the P, one of the P10's best characteristics was its ultra-fast fingerprint scanner found on the front panel. And it seems really strange to me that Huawei have sort of hobbled the standard Mate 10 by putting the fingerprint scanner on the back, while the Mate 10 Pro gets this really elegant rear-facing unit, as we've seen in previous Mate devices. And to me, it just feels quite confusing that perhaps Huawei are trialing either design here to see what best fits with customers. And it's quite ironic to me in the sense that this maybe is the definitive visual difference beyond the Mate 10 Pro being taller and thinner. I feel that unfortunately the Mate 10 inherits a very mixed, confused design that the Mate 10 Pro should really be the epitome or standard for the series. I actually see no use for the Mate 10, to be honest. Uh, the the Pro, yes, but the Pro should have had a better screen. Uh, but why? Who is going to buy the Mate uh, the Mate 10? So <laughs> Huawei have said that the Mate 10 Pro is going to launch in the uh, in the US and in the UK and Europe. 
but uh, the regular Mate 10, I'm assuming, is only going to sell in any numbers in China. It's going to be a little bit cheaper, well, probably a lot, uh, a lot cheaper, but I mean, th that device doesn't seem like anything I would ever want to use. Well, to change tack very, very slightly on the subject, uh, I want to make an analogy to something I said about BlackBerry maybe a year ago now, is that when they first came out with the Priv, I said, you know, bringing security-focused features to the market is, is a great thing to do, but let's face it, is security or the buzzword security going to set your pants on fire and make you go out and buy a phone? Probably not. Now, artificial intelligence obviously is that kind of buzzword that will compel a consumer to do any number of things, and it's an exciting thing for you and I to discuss, but... To have an artificial artificial intelligence, uh, you know, based smartphone, to have a neural processor in the phone itself that powers most of the functions, the, the the bizarre focus from Huawei is longevity, and understandably that's a problem with Android. You know, most smartphones tend to lose about or lose a majority of their better performance specifications at least, well, you know, within eight months of of being unboxed, but. I don't know if this is exciting enough to the general consumer, and I don't know if it's really as strong a selling point as Huawei are marketing it to be. Well, it's quite disappointing to me because the dual camera that they've put into the the new mates, yes, it's going to be a good camera. We've seen that before with the with the uh, with the Huawei P9 and the Huawei P10. Is it something to entice customers that want a larger phone? I don't think so. Don't get me wrong. I, I love the Mate 8 was one of my favorite devices of that year. The Mate 9 was a good phone. But the Mate 10, for some reason, it just feels antiquated compared to what we've seen thus far for these big phones. When you look at uh, the new iPhone 8 Plus and you look at the uh, Galaxy Note 8, I don't know. It feels it feels old, and it's not old. I want to pivot very uh, quickly to our next subject because I think talking about anticipation and excitement, this ironically is perhaps a device I'm a little bit more excited for, and it's one courtesy we have a we have a courtesy look at through uh, on leaks on Twitter is the new Galaxy A range Samsung is reportedly planning to debut in uh, 2018, or at least be the 2018 models. And I'll tell you why I'm excited is that I think the Galaxy S8 is probably the forerunner in my mind for best smartphone of the year. I'll say that quite confidently. However, the one thing that I think dissuades me from cementing that is the fact that it's necessarily a very expensive handset. And consumers around the world, myself included, I think want some of the features on the Galaxy S8 at a more equitable price point. Now it seems that the Galaxy A, the Galaxy A range being the Galaxy A5 and A7 might inherit a part of the uh, Galaxy S8's infinity screen without the curved glass, which to me is a plus, and might inherit a better looking rear-facing fingerprint scanner. What are your thoughts, Tiernes? Does this look enticing to you? It's more in line, I think, at least with the LG G6 you love quite profoundly. Well. To be honest, I have never been a fan of the lower-end Samsung devices. They've always been, to be frank, crap. Um, if you if you, if you think back uh, to the minis, so the Galaxy S's have always had the minis that went in tow. They were horrible phones, um, and in recent years they had the A's, they had the J's. Uh, there's a lot of other mid-range phones that they've launched. But I have to agree with you. I think the new range of Galaxy A devices 
must be the most enticing mid-range devices we've seen in a very long time. Probably the best uh, mid-range devices we've seen since uh, maybe the LG G4 Beat. I would agree with you wholeheartedly there. Um, I think Samsung specifically in regards to the mid-range has stepped up their efforts recently. I think the, the revised Galaxy A2017 series is a good indication of that and it would, would be a phone I would be quite proud to own. And uh, something we've spoken about off-air, which I think is, is a good point to bring in here, is that we've both lamented how unfortunately good flagship smartphone cameras are becoming. And it's at the point now where once you've used something like a Galaxy S8, you really don't want to climb back down the ladder. And my hope is for this Galaxy A series that Samsung can bring that same excellence to the mid-range. It doesn't have to be as good, but if it, in my mind, if it can approximate at least 80% of the same brilliance we've seen at Samsung's flagship end, this could be a real contender in the market. And speaking as the opinionated person I am, I could much rather see myself walking out for a Galaxy A7 rather than a Galaxy S8 or S9 in the future. I agree with, with that price point. If the, if the camera is at least up to scratch, we know for mid to upper, upper mid, fuck. Um, we know that for mid-level to um, kind of premium mid-level tiers of smartphones, you won't have the best cameras in the world. But as you rightly said, we discussed this before, cameras are so important these days uh, in smartphones. And that's one of the biggest reasons why people tend to go for flagship phones is because they can easily take great uh, photos with a you know, with a normal kind of a auto setting, they might they they are not going to change a lot of the settings within the camera uh, camera setup. They can just take great camera. Uh, they can just take great photos with the kind of default settings, and that's why the camera is so important these days. And if we could get a kind of a mid tier, mid upper tier Samsung in the A5 or the A7 that can take the same quality photos, that's a great win and and for me i would sacrifice the the infinity display and some of the bells and whistles for that price point definitely there's one last interesting element to discuss here is that from apparent leaks neither of these smartphones carry a bixby button which is what obviously came on the galaxy s8 and galaxy note 8 thank goodness <laughs> well many people don't like that button but i actually find it quite useful I've, I've kind of developed a special place for bixby in my heart it's understandably not perfect and i think it'll get better over time but do you think the fact that these devices apparently don't have a bixby button is indicative that either samsung think bixby is a premium feature that should be more closely linked to its flagship smartphones or do you think samsung is sort of retreating a bit from the artificial intelligence or digital assistant space well we can't step away from artificial uh, artificial intelligence at all that's the world we live in now that's going to remain the world we live in for a very very long time bixby on the other hand i think was a very brave attempt from samsung to do what Google and Amazon and Apple and some other players have done. Do I think that Bixby will be a thing in the next two, three years? No. I think that Bixby button that was very, let's call it abrasive in the Galaxy S8 um, and now in the Note 8, I don't think it's going to be there going forward in their other devices. 
if Bixby makes it, if Bixby survives, I would be surprised. Um, pleasantly, though, uh, I don't think that Bixby is going to be a feature of our lives in the next three years. What do you think? I think it could well be, and perhaps we'll differ on opinion here, because I think, as I've said previously, Bixby has a very novel claim to fame in that's context. And, of course, we might see a second-generation Bixby next week at Samsung's Developers Conference. I do think there is a place for this, but I think Samsung needs to move quite quickly to cement that. The real place for Bixby, I think, is that, and I've been saying this for years, is that Samsung has an amazing portfolio of appliances and smart devices, yet it just somehow fails to connect all of these amicably. Bixby, uh, amicably. Bixby could be that special source, and I really hope Samsung continue to develop it to do so, because I think it could be the crown jewel uh, you know, in its, in its throne room if it works hard enough. Perhaps to swing very briefly to another very premium electronics manufacturer, there's an interesting report indicating that Apple's iPhone X, which is obviously the most uh, excitement-worthy iPhone over the year might be delayed into next year considering the low yields in which Apple is producing this device. Do you think that's going to result in a lot of frustration and a lot of other consumers just sort of opting towards the other iPhone 8 and iPhone 8 Plus? Or do you think people will hold out for this sort of special anniversary product? That's a very tough question to answer actually because I think when those two devices were launched at the same event on the same day, Almost everyone was thinking, I want the iPhone 10. And what they didn't tell people was that not everybody can have the iPhone 10. We won't have the stock to sell at $1,000 at minimum um, to all the people that actually want an iPhone 10. So we heard yesterday that um, Foxconn that produce all of the iPhones um have said that oh crap we we can't really uh we've got some manufacturing problems and we can't deliver all the iphones we promised we could so this is specifically with the iphone 10 and apparently uh where we are what two or three weeks away from the launch of the iphone 10 and foxconn have only delivered to apple 50,000 iphone 10s and that's uh, that's literally nothing. I, I mean, you can send all of those iPhones to one store, to one <laughs> one Apple store, and those people will line up for hours and days and days. Review Spotlight, where we review the latest games and gadgets to reach our hands. Tienis, we have perhaps, I think, a kind of product or a product category we really haven't touched on in Review Spotlight, but I'm really glad this is the first time we're talking about this segment in earnest, and that I have on my desk the exceptionally premium uh, Vmoda Crossfade LP2 headset. Now, for the uninitiated, this is a very high-end premium headset. It's uh, not Bluetooth. It's a wired headset through a 3.5 millimeter jack, and I have to tell you, it's possibly one of the best products I've reviewed in years. And that's even saying before I put pen to paper on the final review. So tell me, how do you quantify that? Why, why is this device so much better than other ones you've used in the same category? So let's, let's perhaps put some uh, some basics down first before I get into it, is that I'm, I'm obviously perhaps more of an audiophile than the average person out there. I am a musician. I do play guitar as, as you do voice work and play guitar also, uh, play guitar as well. Uh, so perhaps I, I'm more of a keen listener than the average person out there. But I think every person should have the potential to listen to music through this kind of system. The reason I say that perhaps firstly, looking at it holistically, is presentation. It's not often you get 
a, a sort of very detailed ornate box in which you open and not only do you have the headphones inside but you have uh, gold plated uh, 3.5 millimeter jacks and auxiliary cables uh, and additionally uh, a, a small to big jack converter as well if you want to plug in straight to an amp so that's really nice to begin with the other selling point with these headphones is of course that you can customize and personalize them so but they have a set of metal plates on the on the side of either can through which you can uh, clip on the material of your choice in the box it comes with a slate color metal and it comes with a steel color as well so it's a nice little personal touch but to get to the obviously the main star of the show is the sound quality itself and something I have to tell you, I've never listened to a, his, a set of headphones this good. I thought I lucked out with uh, getting my hands on the AKG earphones bundled with the Galaxy S8 earlier this year. But what I have to tell you is that the, the crossfade really delivers amazing bass, mids and treble all in one go. Well, to me, that sounds great. I mean, as you've rightly said, there's a lot of people out there that are true audiophiles and to have that kind of uh, sound quality is very very important to those kind of people and actually to be honest to a lot of people they might not even know how important that sound quality is because they have just always had good earphones so so tell me would you say that these are a necessity to people that are looking for this kind of device and the necessity no the the unfortunate things with these headphones is that quite the pricey and endeavor Although, however, I would argue, looking at more at the qualitative aspect of it, I think everyone should at least be exposed in music and this quality to see what they can miss out on through a cheaper headset. And that perhaps might be a lofty thing to say. But what I mean by that is there's two real dimensions I think are very important that we can take out of the Crossfade set. It's firstly, obviously, excellent sound is, is the go-to, but there's also something to be said for great design uh, i've owned many headphones throughout the years some which have been really good and really have delivered really fantastic sound and uh, some have delivered uh, not quite to that standard however when you get a product that comes with a metal finish nicely scrolled and fitted bolts on the side and a, a comfortable sort of headrest at the back i think it, it really speaks to a well-delivered product and one that can justify its high price tag to answer the question, I think in earnest, is it a, is it a must-have? No, but if if it's an if we're talking simply from an aspirational perspective, then yes, I think this is something that everyone should work towards owning if they really value listening to their music. And I know that's quite a bold claim to make, but it's not every day you get a product on your desk that you sort of sit back and think, "Wow, this is really excellent." So, Brian, beyond the price tag, would you say that there's anything that is not completely up to scratch it's a good question i mean obviously the price tag i think for many people is a huge barrier for access although like i say this really isn't a, the kind of headphone aimed at the mass market um, the one perhaps negative thing i would say is that the customization of swapping those panels on either side of the cans isn't as easy as perhaps one might think i've swapped them in and out from the steel to the slate colored set and the one thing i will say is that i struggled to sort of uh, unhinge. Uh, I struggled to unscrew some of the bolts that keep those panels in place, which is not really fantastic in the one sense because it makes personalizing the set difficult. On the other hand, I do suppose it keeps that uh, panel in place. I would perhaps argue that it's an unnecessary addition to an otherwise really great and simple headset. I think it's it's perhaps a good example of a slight complication on a very elegant design. However, I don't really think that should dissuade any serious consumers from giving the set set a really good look. 
Thanks very much for joining us on this week's episode of Bandwidth Blog on Air. Be sure to come back next week for episode 95 of Bandwidth Blog on Air. You've been listening to Bandwidth Blog on Air, the weekly podcast of bandwidthblog.com.